He's good. Come on. Amen. Amen. Hey, high five somebody real quick as you're being seated and tell them welcome home. Come on, welcome home. If you're catching us online, we're so honored to have you. I think they're having to do some technical um, things online, so bear with us as they're figuring all that out. Thank you so much. Hey, if this is your first time with us, we are especially honored to have you today and so grateful you're with us. So we just want to ask you on your way out today, if you would, swing by the Connect Center tent on your way out. It's the massive tent you can't miss if you tried. Uh, swing by, fill out uh, a card, give us some information there so we can give you a gift. We'd love, love, love to honor you with a present today. If you're online, there's some instructions that's going to pop up uh, for you to do. And so we're just really grateful. And then at Radiate, we believe and we always give a sacrifice or a portion and sometimes give a sacrifice. And uh, so we, we give a moment of giving every single week. And so you're going to have that opportunity at the end of the service today. Um, Pastor Chris is going to give us some directions and instructions there as we get going with that. So we're starting a brand new series this week. I'm going to get through chapter one as fast as I can today. Uh, we're starting a brand new series called Papa, Papa, Paparazzi. Some of y'all get it. Some of you don't. You know, it was corny anyway. But anyway, um, paparazzi, living your faith in a world where everybody's watching. And what we're going to do is over the next several weeks, we're just going chapter by chapter through the book of James. And so this week, we're going through James chapter one. You can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles there. Next week, get this. This is going to blow you away. Next week, we're going to James chapter two. The week after that, I bet you'll never guess where we're going. James, no. Yes, James chapter three. I was trying to throw it off a little bit. So uh, just really glad. Here's what I'd love to ask you to do is throughout the week this week, read James chapter 1. Like break down the verses, however many you need to read each day to get through the end of it by the end of the week. Some people like reading the same chapter every day for a week to kind of get it in them. So, you know, however you want to do it. But I'm going to give you a quick, uh, we'll put it out on social media. I'll put it out on social media too. A study method called SOAP. It stands for Scripture, uh, Observation application and prayer and so if you're doing a journal it's a great way to do it you write down the scriptures you read and then you the O you write down what observations did you pick up on in those scriptures um, and then application how can these scriptures apply to my life it's a great study method and then prayer don't just pray the scriptures let the scriptures pray through you and what I mean by that is how can it get in your soul and what can it change so pray through that and what God would have us to do there. So we're going to be in James chapter 1 today. And it really kind of hinges on this idea that I make this statement all the time at this church. Uh, really at any church I go to. I preached in Oklahoma last Sunday. And, and I made this statement there. And, and I make this statement all the time. And most of you, if, you, if, if radiates your home church, you'll be able to finish the statement as I start it. But it's this thought that God loves us right where we are. But what? Entirely too much to... To leave us there. And I really want to lean in on that because I just need to tell somebody in the room today, no matter where you're at, whether you came in half hung over or you had a big fight with your spouse this morning or you just feel like you've dropped the ball and you've lost it all and everything's difficult and it's hard and frustrating. Like, I just need you to know God loves you right where you're at today. God loves you in your mess. He loves you in your muck. He loves you in your mud. God loves you right where you are. But hear me today, like maybe you walked in and everything's great. God loves you there too. But God loves you way too much to leave you there. God's not going to leave you there because God is always wanting to progress the believer 
to get better. He wants our best from us. But here's the thing, right? Is we have to understand that we can't have victory without a battle. We can't have victory without a battle. You can't, you gotta, there is no victory unless there's a battle somewhere, right? And for every battle, there's a winner and a loser. I'm trying to wake you up this morning. A winner and a loser. I was watching, we have the MLB network at my house, and we watch baseball all the time, right? And I was watching yesterday, and there was a team that was winning the game, and then they lost the game, and the last inning with a walk-off Grand Slam home run, right? Like, so they hit the Grand Slam, just, they hit it, it's great, it's beautiful, they win the game. That team that hit the Grand Slam, they're jumping and they're shouting and they're pouring Gatorade over each other and they're jumping on each other and they're, they're celebrating, you know? But guess what the other team's doing? The other team's upset, man. They're packing up their helmet, they're throwing their bat, they're walking back into the dugout because every battle has a winner and a loser. But I want to tell you, in the kingdom, even when it feels like we're losing, there's something to be gained. There's something to be gained. It can make us, it can push us forward. It can make us go forward. But watch this. Immature Christianity doesn't go forward. Immature Christianity stays where we're at or goes backwards. So here's what an immature Christian looks like. When adversity hits and difficulty hits, then we get taken down by the adversity. But a mature Christian can stand up and be like, there's something to learn on the other side of this. And the reason I love the book of James, and I'm talking about this, is in James Chapter 1. So James writes this letter to the 12 tribes now following Je- that are following Jesus. The 12 tribes are spread all throughout the world. And the first thing that James wants to teach people is about adversity. Because of this. Watch this. To get the best out of somebody, you got to go through some things. Adversity has to be present for the greatness that's in you to come out. It's just going to happen. I don't know about you, but I don't just run to adversity. I don't actually know anybody in life. Actually, I do. They're all on Facebook. But we, <laughs> I don't know anybody in life that just loves to rile people up and get into adversity and get into con- Like, I'm not a conflict guy. I'm not big on conflict. Like, I, secret for me, I want you to actually like me. Like, I don't want you to walk around and be like, he's the worst. Like, it bothers me when people think that, but, you know, I'll lead the way I need to lead, and I'll, I'll protect God's vision for this house and whatever it looks like, but I just, like, I'm not going to run to conflict. I'm not just going to walk up to you and be like, hey, man, I hate your shirt. Some people may. This guy won't. Like, I just don't like it, but most of us are wired to run from conflict. Most of us are wired to run from adversity. We don't want to go through the pain and the argument and the reputation killing, and we don't want to go through all that stuff, but it's adversity that actually makes us better. It's difficulty that actually makes us better, and James starts his entire, his entire letter off talking about this thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this, right? So it's kind of like we give our lives to to the Lord. And this is, I'm a visual guy. This is kind of how I see it. We give our lives to the Lord and we, we suit up. We get ready for the adventure. We got any kayakers in the room? Any, anybody like kayak, like two people. All right. You are my people. You are my people. You know, and, and like you suit up, you get your, your safety device on. I cannot tell you how tight this thing was in the first service. I had to loosen it up, but like I had to, you know, get our stuff, get all our equipment and we get in uh, the boat of life, right? So we're taking this journey and we're getting ready to roll and we're good and we get in. All right. We get in and we push off. Yeah, that was a little more difficult than last time, Ty. And um, 
We get in and we push off and we're doing our thing, right? We go in and we're like, yeah, this is beautiful. I'm getting a tan. Getting a tan. And so we're, 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 we're going where we need to go. We're floating. We're having a good time, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's easy to kayak until the current picks up, right? It's easy to kayak until the waves pick up. I saw somebody recently in a kayak just like this. This is my personal kayak, just like this. Uh, and they were kayaking in the ocean. Now, y'all, I love my kayak, but I wanted to we'll go out there and be like, excuse me, sir. You do know that that's basically a giant balloon you're sitting in. And you do understand that sharks have very sharp teeth, right? And so that's not going to withstand a shark. And you're in the shark's house. I just want to make sure you understand that before you get into the waves too much. But the way, can, I couldn't imagine big, like kayaking this thing through the waves. Like it would push me all over the place because I get in the river. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And I get in this spot that's got strong currents, and guess what happens? It starts to twist and it starts to turn, and you got to correct this way and correct that way. What happens is in life, man, it feels great, it's good. We're, oh, I'm, I'm suntan. I got my cooler full of <clears throat> Coke water. Guys, that's what your cooler needs to be full of. Um, got your cooler, and you got everything. You're enjoying the ride, and we're doing all this until the current picks up, and then it gets tough. So what do we do? What do we do when the current gets tough? What do we do when things get difficult? What do we do when it's hard? What do we do when we start spinning? When we start going in circles? When we start going places we never intended to go? Like, I'm trying here. I looked apart, don't I? I looked apart. I got the life vest. I didn't bring my water shoes, but I got Under Armour water shoes. Y'all would be impressed with my get up. I got this thing. But when the current gets too tough, what am I supposed to do? And what we've got to learn to do is at times you've got to learn to throw out an anchor and let it catch on to something that's stronger than you are, something that's not going to be pushed here or there by the waves, something that's not going to be pushed by here or there, watch this, by the political opinions on TV. Something that's not going to be pushed here or there by the way you voted or the, what, the shot you get or this thing. Like, Life is bigger than that stuff. I'm not saying any of that's not important. What I'm saying is, is when, we, when our faith gets pushed here or there by things that don't matter, we're not anchored in the right things. What we've really done is taken our anchor and we've thrown it into somebody else's boat and we've said, hey, whatever you believe, I'm going that way. And then we want to wonder why we end up on a shore we never meant to get on with people we didn't like in the first place. And God's like, just throw your daggum anchor out and trust. I'm going to have to fix that later. Um, throw your anchor out and trust me. Trust me. Let me hold on to where you're at. Hold on to where I am. Like, let your boat just sit for a minute. It doesn't mean that the waves aren't coming. It doesn't mean that the current's not pushing. It doesn't mean that it's not happening around you. It just means it's not affecting you. It can happen around you without it happening in you. And we've got to come to a place in James. I love it. The book of James, he starts in James chapter 1. He starts talking about this very thing. He starts talking about what does it look like to live a life to where we're going in a direction where we feel like we're supposed to go. And, and it looks different. What does it look like? How do we get to that place? 
I love the book of James. The book of James is my favorite book in the Bible. I probably read it 15, 20 times. I love, I love the book because the reality is, 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 is James is teaching us what it looks like to have a stable and mature relationship with Jesus. James is the half-brother of Jesus who didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah for a while in his life until afterwards James, Jesus shows back up and he's like, oh, bro, you weren't lying. You are the Messiah. James believed, and, and then James goes in and he writes this and he becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem that, move, that starts this movement of churches. In fact, the apostle Paul, later on in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, the apostle Paul says James is like a pillar to the early church. James is like starting this movement with the apostle Paul and he's staying on. Watch this. In the book of James, there's 50 imperatives in five chapters. Imperatives. I love James because James doesn't suggest very many things. He doesn't look and go, hey, Ty, if you could, when you feel like it, it might be a good idea for you to understand these things about the kingdom of God. No, he goes, hey, if you want a stable, mature Christianity and life with Jesus, here's what's going to happen and how you got to act. That's what James does. We don't like those words. And see, the reality is, is because instability and immaturity are often paired together. And so if I have an unstable relationship with God, can I just go ahead and challenge you? It's also immature. So how do I get a mature relationship with God? I just got to serve him longer. Maturity, a spiritual maturity has nothing to do with length or time. It has everything to do with obedience and discipline. The more I'm obedient to God. That's why there are, there are immature Christians that sit in our church and in churches all over the place that have loved Jesus for 50 years but they're still immature in their relationship, and that's why they get caught up on the wrong things. If I want a mature relationship with God, watch this, I have to learn to listen to him. Are you with me today? And we got to get into this thing. And so I love where it goes in here. And James, in chapter 1, gives us four imperatives. And I'm going to hit them quick. Four imperatives on how do we handle things when God turns up the heat. God's going to turn up the heat on you. Can I just tell you that? God's going to turn up the heat. It's going to happen because he wants your best. It's going to happen because he, he's going to bring adversity so that we can deepen our, uh, throw our anchor out and deepen our faith. Four imperatives, and they're found in the first part of James, and they're reestablished throughout the first part of cha or, or throughout chapter 1. Verse 2 of James chapter 1 gives us the first one. It says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Number one is consider. Consider it joy. I don't know about you. There's not a lot of very difficult things in my life to where I sit back and go, oh, this is so joyful. This is, this is great. I'm having a hard time paying my bills right now. This is amazing. Nobody does that, right? I just went uh, on a 14 that turned into an 18-hour road trip with my family. A 10-year-old, yeah, bless him, praise God. A 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 3-year-old, a 35-year-old, and a 38-year-old, right? 38-year-old control freak, let's put it that way, right? It was, I, there were times I was not joyful. There were times where I wanted to go, you know what's joyful? I'll walk the rest of the way, y'all keep going. No, joy, we don't see pain and adversity as joyful because we get joy and happiness mixed up. 
Joy is not happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is what you feel, right? So I walked, when I pulled up in the parking lot today, I felt happy because I'm, I'm back home with Radiate Church, the greatest church in Columbia, South Carolina. Come on, somebody. A church where God's moving, a church where amazing things are taking place, a church where we're growing deep in our faith, a, a church where we're going to reach more people than we ever have before. Like, I, I felt happy. I was back home. And then I walked into my office, and there's two gifts waiting on me in my desk, and I was like, yeah, I'm happy. You know, I felt, I felt happy. But joy is a choice. Joy is a decision that I'm going to be optimistic or positive through the midst of something. Joy is the opportunity to see things differently than how they feel. Because they might make you feel mad, but joy is the opportunity to see it differently. Watch this. Here's a thought for you. Outlook determines outcome, and attitude determines action. Outlook determines outcome. Let me give you a a thought, right? Outlook determines outcome. So the way I look at something usually determines how it's going to take place. What James is trying to do right here in verse 2 where he says, consider it joy. He's trying to go, hey, change your outlook. I know it feels bad. I know it's not fun and joy, enjoy, you're not enjoying the moment, but you need to change your outlook from, oh, woe is me, this is tough, this is terrible, why me, why the, to God, you've got me under control. God, I'm your child. Can I, can I give you a, an analogy? I didn't do this in the first two services, so just give me a minute. You know, I just talked about our road trip that we took, right? Uh, and we did it in two days on the way out there, and I got real brave and decided to just do it all the way on the way back. And uh, on, the way, <laughs> on the way there and on the way back, so uh, we bought these DVD players that hook onto the back of the, the seats. Some of you guys may be real fancy and have them installed. So what? I bought some from Amazon. Greatest investment I've ever made in my entire life for a road trip. You know what my kids worried about the entire time? What DVD they were going to watch next. If they were going to watch Beethoven second for the 734th time, they were going to watch Space Jam, the original MJ. Let's go, somebody. My man. Whatever it is, right? They worried about DVDs, and they worried about how long, uh, you know, when they were going to take a nap or what snack they were getting in the gas station. You know what I, you know why they could worry about that? They didn't have to worry about the gas or the tire pressure or the, or, or the trip, what interstate to get off on and what that Mack truck in front of me is going to do and all this stuff. You know why they didn't have to worry about that? Because they knew dad's got it under control. Some of us just need to learn to sit back and go, dad's got it under control. Dad's got this thing. My outlook can be better when I know dad's got me. Are you with me? So outlook determines outcome, and attitude determines action. You ever woke up in a bad mood, and like, when you wake up in a bad mood, and you're in a bad attitude, guess what? You're not going to greet everybody that morning with a smile and be like, hey, I'm in a bad mood. You'd be creepy. Everybody would be like, who are you, and get away from me, right? Like, you wake up in a bad mood and your wife bumps into you. Like, my wife will bump into me while I'm brushing my teeth or something. It's like, you don't see me right here? I'm brushing my teeth. I just spit it in the sink. Like, I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? That's a bad attitude. But when I wake up in a good attitude and she bumps into me, it's like, oh, you hit my butt this morning. We're going to get this day started right. 
Married couples. Amen. Amen. Married couples. The rest of you stay out of that stuff. But the difference in an attitude. One, she bumped your butt. You got mad. The other one, she bumped your butt. And you're like, hello, nurse. How are you? Right? I mean, let's be real. Attitude determines action. It determines how we treat the other person. Maybe if we change our outlook. <laughs> I still see people laughing about that. That's what got me tickled. Maybe if we change our outlook, our attitude would change, which then changes the way that we treat others and the outcome we come. And, and joy, watch this. this I'm going to give you this thought, and then I'm going to move on. Joyful people learn to live for the things that matter the most. Joyful people. For me, my top priorities are faith, family, and church. Those are my three top priorities. Anything else can fall well below that, and it's fine. But those are my top three priorities. And joyful people learn to be content with the things that matter most in their life. So what if you don't have the greatest, newest truck? Who cares? you got a family that loves you. So, so, so what if somebody didn't say hey to you this week? Guess what? you got a church family that embraces you. So what if it didn't go your way at the stoplight today? Your life group loves you. So what if you're having a bad week, month, day, whatever? You've got a God that is walking with you through it. Joyful people learn to be content with what matters most. So there's that, right? There's considerate joy. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus gives us a great example. If you want to write that scripture down and be a good one to remember, it says that he endured the cross. Think about that. He endured the pain and the mockery and the, and, and the, and the just torture that he went through. It says he endured it. That means he didn't like it. It wasn't fun. He endured it. He went through it. Why? And it says, for the joy set before him. What is the joy set before him? He chose to be joyful in pain because he knew one day we would be reconciled together. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Number two is uh, found in verse three. It's this. It's knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Number two is know or have an understanding mind. Know. Know that the testing of my faith produces endurance. Watch this. If I get in, in this, right, and it's been a while... And it has been a while, but and it's been a while since I've kayaked, and I get out there and I start rowing, and I'm, whoa, 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 we're going. My shoulders may start hurting, and my back may hurt, and my triceps may cramp up, and I may just get winded. And, and what do I have to do? I got to take a break, right? Okay. I got to let the current take me where it's going to take me for a minute because I can't, I got to take a break. But the more I do this, it produces, and you know this, what's called endurance. And when I have endurance, I can take a longer time between breaks. So I can do this longer. Why do I need endurance in this life? Why would James, the one that he actually references the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in his book, the one that was the half-brother of Jesus, the one that reteaches most of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, why would James talk about endurance? Here's why. He explains it in the next one, but endurance is the ability to go through something at a longer rate. Now watch this. Why do you need endurance for this life? Because we weren't created for this life. We were created for eternity with God. We weren't created for the finite time that we have on this earth. It says that he knows the numbers of hair on our head and he knows the days that we will live here. 
You and I just need endurance so that we can make the greatest impact while we're here and we can endure whatever we have to endure to become the best that God has for us to be while we're here. What is our goal on this earth? To expand the kingdom of God. It's real simple. It's not to vote Democrat. It's not to vote Republican. It's not to do this. It's not to do that. It's not to get here. It's not to have a big house. It's not to have a great car. Your goal, your purpose on this earth is very simple. Expand the kingdom of God. And I understand that some of you just got really offended by what I said. But that's good. Because our goal is nothing except the kingdom of God. Nothing but the love of Jesus. We need endurance to get through this thing. In fact, endurance comes through adversity, right? And doing something. James 1, 13, there's this statement that says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Why would James say that? God doesn't tempt anybody. Then why am I tempted? Temptation brings out our, is to bring out our worst. Trials and adversity are to bring out our best. Temptation is to get you to do something and get you further from God. Adversity and trials is to get us to throw our anchor out and draw closer to him. God doesn't tempt us to get our worst. In fact, God's not concerned with your worst. God eradicated and erased your worst on the cross. He don't even care about your worst. He wants your best. He wants who you are and who you were created to be to come out. That's why I love serving him through this church. The next one is in James chapter 1 and verse 4. There's this statement that says, And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's actually a reference to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. But it's this. We need to let God. We need to have a surrendered will. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I got my life figured out. Anybody with me on that? I know how much money I need. I know the house I need. I know the spot on the lake where my house needs to be. I know the truck I need this week. Next week it will be different, but I know the one I need this week. I know the boat that I need. I know what size church we're going to be. I know what kind of impact we're going to. I got it all figured out. I know the exact friends I need in my life. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me on that? You got it figured out. Let me show you a sign of a mature believer in Jesus. Watch this. It's somebody that's willing to surrender their will for his. Somebody that's willing to say, hey, I got it all figured out, but you didn't ask me. So I'm going to do what you tell me to do, when you tell me to do it, how you tell me to do it, and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when there's trials, even when there's adversity, I'm going to go through the difficulty, and I'm going to trust you. There's three sages in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You can write 8 through 10. You can write that scripture down. Um, I'm going to do a series on this eventually. I'm just going to hit them very, very fast. There's three stages of a mature Christian that, that take place that are talked about by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's the work God does for us through the cross, salvation. And then there's the work God does in us, which is sanctification, which is where God sanctifies or purifies the things that draw us away from God out of, out of us addiction, things like that, like how we treat our wives, uh, think, whatever it is, sanctification is a process of getting the things that are not of God out. And then there's the work that God does through us. Work God does for us, when we accept that, he begins to do a work in us. And while he's doing a work in us, he does a great work through us. We have to surrender our will to God and watch amazing things take place 
And then the last one is this. Verses 5 through 8. Watch this. If any of you lacks wisdom, does anybody besides me lack wisdom? Sometimes, like, you just don't know what to do, right? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all, watch this, generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here's what James is saying. Remember, James is a pretty straightforward guy. He's going, hey, God, God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to give you what you need in order to know what you need to know, to do what you need to do, to impact who you need to impact, to make a difference in this world. But James is going, don't you dare sit in that kayak of life and say, oh, I got, I'm anchored to God. And the whole time you're anchored to somebody else. And then look at God and go, hey, God, I need you to tell me what to do. I don't know that God does this, but I like to think about God sometimes looking at me and going, why don't you ask them? You lean more on them than you do me. I think God tells me that sometimes. And I'm like, oh, my bad. And I got to not throw my net on the other side. I got to throw my anchor on the other side. Good God, you tell me, man. You tell me. Because here's what I know. Some of you are in the room. You don't have much wisdom about what to do in your life. You feel unstable. Winds are pushing your kayak all around. The currents are pushing. You're trying to push off rocks. You're trying to, like, all this stuff is going on, and it's so hard, and it's so difficult. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know who to trust. You don't, and I'm just here to tell you, it's Jesus. It's God. And we have life groups at this church so that we can walk through life together. And you need to be in one. But that life group's not your salvation. It's Jesus. And that's it. That's the only thing stable I have in my life. And I actually love uh, what Warren Wearsby, is one of the authors I was studying for this series. I love what Warren Wearsby says about wisdom and knowledge in this moment. He says this. He says, knowledge... Knowledge is the ability to take things apart. Wouldn't you say we probably learn how to take things and people apart way more than we probably should in this world right now? We tear everything and everybody apart right now. He says knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put them back together. Wisdom, I love this part, is the right use of knowledge. And so maybe like you're sitting out there and you're like, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get there. And I just want to read this last verse, James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James goes, listen, I just gave you some really good stuff about how to draw closer to God, how to trust God, and how God's getting his best out of you, and how not to be driven by the winds and the currents and the waves and all this stuff. But guys, listen. This is James. He goes, guys, listen. I need you to prove yourselves doers and not just listen, hearers. Don't just hear what I'm saying. This is God's word. This is, this is 
Uh, Jesus taught this same thing. This is James. He's going, don't just listen to me. Do it. Prove it. And maybe you're in the room and you feel unstable and you feel difficult and you feel like you're being twisted and turned all around. And I just want you to know that's not how God intended it. God's entire intention was for us to be anchored in him. Trust him. Lean on him. Ask him for wisdom and knowledge. Uh, 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 you know, consider it joy because he wants the greatest out of us. Let him produce endurance within us. Because no matter what, guess what? Watch this. No matter what happens in my life, it doesn't change the fact that he is still God. And he still loves me. And he still loves you. And we're on this journey together. And we're going to figure it out. And he promises to never get out of the kayak with us. He'll always be there. So as we dive in over the next four weeks into the rest of the book of James, man, I just don't, I don't want you to walk around and have this shallow faith. I want us to have this deep faith that is anchored in the goodness of God. And he loves you today right where you are, but entirely too much to leave you there. And so maybe you're in the room and you go, I just need to give him my life. I want to pray salvation. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I want to accept the fact that he bridged the gap between me and in God I'm going to pray with you if that's you and then maybe you're in here and you're like you know what I, I've lived a real shallow life with God and I've just been more worried about not going to hell than I have really living for him and I want, I want you to pray that God would help me throw my anchor out and really dig deep and live for him I want to pray with you too so if you would just bow your head close your eyes for me and if you want to pray that prayer of salvation and ask Jesus into your life, I would be so honored to pray that prayer with you and <clears throat> ask God to just come into our lives and bridge that gap. If that's you, would you just hold your hand up right where you are and just say, hey, I want to give him my life today. Now, if you're in the room and you'd say, man, I've lived a shallow life, probably more than I thought, and I just want, I want God, I want to throw my anchor out. I don't want to be tossed here and there by the waves anymore and the uncertainty and the pain and frustration. I just want, I want God's best. And I understand what that means. I just want to be somebody that's deep in my faith, that's doing more than I've ever done to grow closer to the God that loves me and the God of the universe. If that's you, would you hold your hand up along with me because my hand's up and join with hundred, over, well over a couple hundred people in the first two services. Yeah, amen. God, I thank you. God, help us grow. Help us throw that anchor out where it needs to go. God, I know adversity is going to come and difficulty is going to come, but help us consider it joy. Change our outlook, God. Because we want a great outcome. Change our attitudes, God, because we want great action. God, move in our lives in such a way that it changes everything. God, we're not here to just exist. We're here to expand the kingdom of God on this earth. Help us do just that. Help us, God, to, to change the world. Help us reach our friends and our coworkers and our families. God, I just pray that you'd help us draw deeper to you because you are so good.
so good.